This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience First-hand, the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados the best place to be a cricket fan. Hello and welcome. I'm John Norman and you're listening to a brand new cricket show, Road to the Ashes. Hosted by Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison and World Cup winning Aussie all-rounder Simon O'Donnell. It's a tie-up between all of us England fans here at TalkSport Radio in the UK and all the Aussie ones at Australia's premier sports radio station, SEN. Every Friday across TalkSport 2 and via the following on podcast feed, Road to the Ashes will be the place to hear debate, opinion, exclusive player interviews and all the big stories building up to the biggest series in world cricket, the Ashes. So sit back and enjoy as Harmy and Simon both come in off their long runs for Road to the Ashes. Australian made. Look for the green and gold kangaroo logo and buy authentic Australian products. Road to the Ashes with Simon O'Donnell and Steve Harmison. Hello everyone and welcome to Road to the Ashes. Thanks to Australian Made, look for the green and gold kangaroo. My name is Simon O'Donnell and we look forward to speaking to you each week as we build up to the 2023 Ashes series, which gets underway June 16 at Edgbaston. Five test matches against the old enemy. It's going to be a beauty. You'll hear every ball of the Ashes live across the SEN network each week. Here on the Road to the Ashes, we'll discuss the latest Ashes news, dissect the key issues, speak to those involved, those in the know. I'm about to introduce you to someone who was right in the know over there in the UK. But first, later in the program, Australian squad member Matt Renshaw, he'll uh, join us. Uh, He won't want to see the dust of India over in the UK, but he'll be looking forward to getting over there and being part of an Ashes contest. And a man that was a great part of 
Ashes contest right throughout his career is Steve Harmison, English cricket great, of course, and comes to us through Talk Sport Cricket in the UK, who will be uh, jointly doing this program right through the build-up to the Ashes. And Steve, you had a, a wonderful time uh, over the, the journey in the Ashes, a couple of wins, a, even a couple of losses, uh, but they are, it is something special, something you're looking forward to. Yeah, good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are. And Simon, yeah, it's fantastic. Can't wait for the Ashes to to come around. It's going to be a quick one, five games in six weeks. I'm really looking forward to see who can manage that. But no, it's, like you mentioned, the old enemy. It was, my journey was a an interesting one. I had a great education in 2002-03 as a very, very young, wet behind the ear whippersnapper to come up against probably the greatest Ashes team, I would say, with mm. like the Warren McGrath, Gillespie, Lee, at that pump, Steve Wall leading that side. And I managed to play in the four, four the, the, the last four test matches after carrying Simon Jones off after that horrendous injury in Brisbane, then part of the greatest series probably of all time, which is the, the 2005 Ashes. After the first ball in Brisbane, I think I had a pretty decent series <laughs> um, because it couldn't have gone any better, any worse from. Point two balls of that series, and then obviously finished my career on a high at, at the Oval, um, last game ever in a in a Test match, which was the victory ag- against um, Michael Clark with Ricky Ponton's men at um, at the Oval in two thousand and nine. So a fantastic time, one two, lost two, and I think this is probably the most eagerly awaited series since two thousand and five, with the way both sides have played. I think both. I think that the situation is, is is a lot similar, where in 2005, Australia were probably the best team in the world. Sorry, best players in the world at the time. But I think England going into that series all them years ago were probably the best team in the world with the 15 months going into it. And I see that a little bit like this one. I think Australia probably got the better players than England. Um, and English conditions, the Dukes makes it a little bit more of an even contest. I think in the last 12 months, the way England have played, I see England being the best team in the world at this minute in time. So it's all in all, it's going to be a fascinating series. I mean, talk us through Ash's series. Um, you know, you, you've had a, a a wonderful career and you've played in you know some unique test matches that, that had fantastic finishes. You've played 63 test matches in your career. What's the difference between a Australia versus England and an Australia versus India, for example? That five-letter word, Simon, isn't it? Ashes. <laughs> as simple as that. Does wonderful things to your body and your mind. And I think that's where this one is um, going to be brilliant for the simple fact there's a lot of talk about basketball. Um, the players don't like it. Brendan doesn't like it himself, that word. But the way England have played, um, I look at this series and the question marks have been chucked at this team where you said, could England... England can't play like that all the time. Surely not. And then they come up against... You have South Africa, and you can't do that against it. South Africa's bowling attack of Kigisa Rabada and Unric Nokia bowling rockets at 90 plus miles an hour. They blew them away. India's group, you know, India's team in that one off test match can't play like that. India won't really be there for the contest, to be fair, but then it was thrown at them in Pakistan. And to score seven and a half and over, not just for a session, but for a whole day, shows you that this team is sort of pushing the boundaries of test match cricket. And it'll be you know, set up interesting to see what happens in this series. But this series has got one thing in the mentality of that five-letter word, Ashes. 
is completely different. It's a different contest whatsoever. Your front and back page, it's not just about the, the bilateral series that nobody's really that interested in. It's all about the pressure of having that, that goldfish bowl of, of what is going on in your life, in and around the days you've got off, because that's all that's talked about. And like I said before, similarities to 2005. In England, there's going to be no football World Cup, mm. no Euros to co- sort of go with it. So the whole story in English sport over them six weeks in June and July is going to be Ashes cricket. And that is what I think is going to be the difference because they're not going to be able to walk down the street. They're going to be, it's going to be a little bit like being in that, that India goldfish bowl because everything's going to be scrutinised and that adds a lot of pressure to the performance. You mentioned uh, 2005 a, a couple of times. Prior to that 2005 victory at the Oval to, to um, winning that series at, at the Oval, Australia won eight of the prior Ashes contests. How did you turn that around? Because it was quite a dominance leading into that 2005 series. It was. It was, well, we had 18 years without even coming close to, to winning the Ashes. We won in Sydney every now and again when Australia had given up after their Christmas dinner and we were 4-0 up at the time. So that was quite a, a regular occurrence for the England cricket team. But it was always a little bit different in, in England. And we went in, the preparation we had and we went in from the West Indies all the way through to the English summer and playing in New Zealand, the West Indies, where we went seven and a seven, not too dissimilar to what this lot have done. And we went to South Africa and won and the, the, the first team to win you know, after apartheid in South Africa. And we were ready for Australia. Um, and then it all started well at the at, at Lords. My five for 43 was going really well until it's sort of tea time. And then, and Glenn came on for the last session and made my five and put 43 look like 550 because I think he had five for five at, at one point. <laughs> and then we left Lords going, well, that's it. You know, we, we were the best team in the world, but same thing happens as normal. Australia turn up and you know, pull our pants down, tickle our bellies and away we go and here goes the series lost again. But there was an interesting bit in that build up to the this, this second test match. A couple of things. Michael Vaughan told us that he was going to stick by the side that had lost at Lords and the confidence that give 11 men from that point of view. He then said, we're going to have to score at three and a half and over as opposed to 2.7, because that's the only way we can beat Australia. And a lot of our batters were scratching their heads and going, how on earth are we going to score at 3.5 and over against Glenn McGrath and Shane Warne? And we were like, this could end badly. And then Glenn McGrath stands on the ball at 9.45 on a, on the edge bast in the morning of the, the second test match, an edge bast. I made this joke before that 10, 10 Englishmen and a South African were doing cartwheels about <laughs> 50 yards away because of what it meant to lose McGrath. And that, for me, was the difference in the series because what, what happened at Lords was was sort of equalised at, at the morning of, of the first morning at edge bast. And from there, England didn't look back in that series. It was a, a great contest. The whole country got involved. And I think that's going to be exactly the same this this time round. If, if there's a mental edge, you know, the Australians have named their squad, and we'll talk a little bit later about when and who you think will be part of the England team. You know, is there a, a mental edge, do you think, either side takes into this series, or would you put it pretty much on an even keel? 
I think it's 50-50, Simon. I don't know what, what you think about from an Australian side, but I think it's 50-50 when it comes to where this series is at at the moment in time. More for the fact that England have got some question marks over their fast bowlers. And I think that's going to be a big, big difference in this series. England need an archer or a wood in each of the test matches. They need one of them, if not both, they'll have the option of having them both. Because I think they're not so much got away with it. New Zealand, Broad, Anderson, Robinson. I think England would struggle, not struggle to get 20 wickets against Australia with that lineup. But I think it would make it a lot easier for for Australia to overcome the initial you know, danger. And then if they got in on a flat one and the sun came out, which doesn't normally happen too much in England, but if it does come out and it does get flat, that bowling attack, I think you could sit on it and then mm. make a score if things aren't, you know, if the, if the ball's not moving, moving laterally. So I think England needs their fast bowlers to, to sort of be fit and turn up. And that, for me, is, is where the, the question marks are. The question marks for England are that fast bowler and number one and number two. And I think Australia have got that similar question mark, which is, are your fast bowlers going to be fit? And can your number one and your number two overcome England's burst with the, the Duke ball from around the wicket, which England have been so successful at in the recent past? Because there is a question mark on Kawaja and in, and Warner for me, but their replacements. Harris is another left-hander who's got a hundred and he got one hundred and eighty for Gloucester in the in the last round of county championship matches. So. That, for me, is where potentially I see England getting at Australia. But I see this contest at this minute in time, 50-50. It's amazing. Statistically, it backs up, or the statistics back up what you've just said, seeing this at 50-50. Over the fullness of time of Ashes series, 340 test matches have been played between the two countries. 8.5% of those matches have been drawn. Australia have won 46.5 and England have won 45.1. It just says it all, really, how extraordinary the series is and how even the series is and how the effort people put into it because they don't want to be the side that gets beat. Yeah, and no, that was always the, th- the thing that was thrown at Ricky Ponting, that he came twice to England and lost twice. He came twice to England and he was the one that lost it twice. You know, 05, 09, where before that, Steve Wall's team, Alan Border's team, and you know, Mark Taylor's team, they never looked like losing, never looked like losing the ashes. So all their win percentages, England, a lot of he- a lot of them heavily towards sort of 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, rather than in the current time, especially in Australia. Um, and England have had a little bit of success recently in in England, but. It could. I, I still think, Simon. It comes down to to England's bat, batting against Australia's bowling. There's a lot of talk mentioned earlier about the bumps in the road that this team have been asked to go over when this new baseball era has come together, and it's always had things in front of them, and they've always steamrolled straight over mm. them. You know, the Pierce bowling of, of of South Africa, what it's like in Pakistan, but this I think is a different level, more. Internally, because of the pressure that the Ashes puts on you. But I think this bowling attack is a level above if they're all fit, which is Ken Cummins, Ken Stark, Ken Hazelwood, big question mark over him, Boland, Hamlin Green. Can you play five test matches in six weeks in England, where sometimes the last session's played in cold, damp weather, 
to then go again and go again. I think if the, if Australia's bowling attack is a same for four out of the five, then I think England could be, that's where it could be the difference between England winning and England losing, and that's my opinion. And uh, a, a fair one at that. We're going to take our first break on uh, the road to the Ashes. Simon O'Donnell, Steve Harmison with you. Thanks to Australian Made. Look for the green and gold kangaroo. We'll be back shortly on the other side. We'll have a chat about the Australian squad who is likely to be re- representing the Poms against the Aussies in the build-up to the Ashes. Five test matches. They're going to be beauties. Australian Made. Look for the green and gold kangaroo logo and buy authentic Australian products. Road to the Ashes with Simon O'Donnell and Steve Harmison. I think the conversations with Dave, like any of the senior players, they're, they're excited. I think it's always a, um, a highly anticipated series. Um, so, yeah, he's uh, he's invested in, uh, and wants to make sure that he, uh, well, first of all, helps us um, finish. I think it's been a really consistent couple of years on the test front and by, um, by trying to win the World Test Championship and then shift that focus really quickly to the Ashes. Yes, this is The Road to the Ashes with Simon O'Donnell, Steve Harmison over in the UK. Thanks to Australian Made, look for the green and gold. That was Australian Chief Selector George Bailey there on David Warner's inclusion. Steve, been a lot of conjecture about it. He's one hell of a player. He's had one hell of a career. People just keep trotting out, as they should, that uh, internationally he hasn't scored anywhere near as well as he has at home, and particularly against this English attack where he's going to come up against Anderson and Broad again, who have had enormous success against him. How do you feel about the Warner situation? It's great, isn't it? It's fantastic. I love it, me, because it's, it's like a pantomime villain. If I, to be honest, if I was in the Australian camp as well, I wouldn't be too bothered about that Divi Warner is big enough and he's ugly enough to detect that. He's had it before for many, many years. And if they're having a go at David Warner, they're deflecting everything against, forgetting about anybody else. So, look, he is. A, I think he's a fantastic player. We had him at Durham um, when he was very young before he came and, you know, a superstar in, in the Australia side. Um, and I've got a lot of time for David Warner. I've got no problem with... You know, he gets close to a line on the field and sometimes he crossed it and rightly being punished for it. But he is a phenomenal character. He's an excellent player. I think he's good for the game. And if he scores runs in the first test match and he plays all five test matches, then all of a sudden I think he's good for the series. Everybody loves a pantomime villain. and Everybody loves somebody to get at. And, you know, England supporters will be getting at David Warner. I was Australia's captain and hierarchy and thinking if he can just get runs in the first test match all efforts will be going at Warner. He's not 22. You know, he's mm. well into his, he's, he's mid 30s. What is he? 36. He's had this before. He's experienced people throwing all sorts at him. And I think that might just deflect from the rest of people having to go at the rest of the team. So it'll be, it'll be a hard first test match for him because of the pressure that'll be on. He had a t- chance in the world test championship. Yeah. Like you said, a four, he's, he's had a wonderful career and what I find normally, Simon, is when great players go out, they tend to go out on a high. And from an English point of view, I hope it's not against England in us in, in the Ashes. But you mentioned there Anderson and Broad. I'm not so sure Broad will play in the first Test match. I think it'll be Anderson and Robinson that play in the first Test match. 
that might do David Warner a bit of a favour mm. because Robinson is not as comfortable bowling around the wicket as broad as the left-handers. And I think that whether that comes into the factor from an England selection point of view, I think whatever happens, Ollie Robinson plays in that first test match. And if he does, barring injuries, it'll be Anderson and Robinson, not Anderson and Broad. It'd be interesting to see how that uh, that rolls out in the first test. Uh, I'm inclined to agree with you, Steve. A player like David Warner, he loves it when it gets tough. You know, when And when people yeah. write him off, he says, no, 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 no. I've got more music in me yet. I'm a songwriter, and I've got one more to, got one more to write. So I don't think you can write him off. And the influence that would have if he does come off will be enormous to number three, four, five, six, seven, and you know that Australian squad travelling around. If if he can score runs in that first Test match, I, I think it it sets up the Aussies even more so to be competitive and play to their best in pressure situations, which we know will be part of. An Ashes series, you know, pressure, pressure is massive, and um, you know, players have, have got to get ready to handle that pressure. Let me just quickly touch on, I mean, the squad for the Aussies that that are coming over. And before we touch on a few of the the England guys, you expect to be going out there and representing the old dart in the in the first Test match. The squad, of course, Pat Cummings, captain Scott Boland, Alex Kerry, Cameron Green, had a wonderful tour of India. Marcus Harris, who you've You've mentioned he's already um, uh, trotted out a ton in county cricket so far this year. Josh Hazelwood with some injury problems over the last few months, uh, hopefully fully fit. Travis Head, Josh Inglis, the reserve wicketkeeper. Usman Kawaja, Manus Labashain, Nathan Lyon, Mitch Marsh, Todd Murphy, Matt Renshaw, Steve Smith, Mitch Stark, and, of course, David Warner. Uh, guys like Cam Bancroft, Bancroft Michael Nessa, uh, Lance Morris, they've been left out, has has Peter Hanscom, but a couple of those are over there playing just in case. So that's a, a pretty good squad, but I can just see a, a Warner great start will even make that squad, squad even stronger. Yeah, 100% agree with that. And I think it comes down, Simon, it comes down to the two openers on both sides. Mm. If the two openers on both sides can give the middle order some some chance against the moving ball, because... We know it. it, it I talk about Matt, Matt, uh, Marcus Harris. Marcus Harris. We spoke at Talksport with him over the course of this last week and talked about the difference between the Duke ball and the Cougar ball. And we can speak to Matt Renshaw about it because he spent a bit of time at Kenton at Somerset. But if you can overcome that new ball and give your middle order a chance, it's not like the Cougar where it goes after ten over seven to ten overs. You know this could swing and seem for the best part of. 18, 20 overs, especially if you've got someone like Jimmy Anderson with it. So it's so important that the question marks on both sides for me in the batting department are England's one, two, and three, because I still think Ollie Pope is still sometimes like a cat in a hot tin roof in English conditions. Australia got Labishin and Smith at three and four, two more solid characters mentally and technically in English, for English conditions because they're used to it. But one and two, is huge for both sides. Mm. Warner, Kawaja, left-hander, England bowling around the wicket with the Duke ball, and then, obviously, Duckett and Crawley, who Crawley is off the back of a big 100. So is Duckett in, in county championship. But there's still a lot of question marks on whether they should be inside or their technical ability to overcome the new ball in England. So that could be the difference between the sides as well. So and I look at the Australia squad and... A little bit like England, I think they've got question marks at one and two. I think you, which bowler is going to be fit? 
So uh, mentioned earlier, Archer Wood is Hazelwood going to be fit because he's made for English conditions. You know that Glenn McGrath type close to stumps, really questioning techniques in and around that off stump batsman coming forward. You know inside outside edges that is huge, especially with the pace of Cummins and Stark if they both play. But Boland is a, a, a definitely a ready made option in English conditions. So there the, the the issues with that and who bats at number five. Travis Head last mm. time in England in county cricket had a shocker at Sussex. And Matt Renshaw, another one who's gone and, and done some opening batting, but probably the middle order option as well if Head doesn't work. So for me, they're the areas that England probably will target to get at Australia, especially when in the early part of the of the, of the test series, which is it's always a difficult place to go and play. Edge Baston, first test match, and Lords with a slope. If you're not used to batting on that, that can do wonderful things to the mind for batsmen as well. So yeah, they're the things that, for me, early early part of the series where England will try and exploit Australia. Steve, just quickly explain to us where, where we talk about um, you know the, the slope at Lords and and you know the the pitch at Edgbaston. Just explain the differences. You, know, you you obviously played Ashes series here in Australia, and and just to those people saying, well. Why is it so different? Because I must admit, I found them, yes, that little bit slower, that little bit softer. The, the marks by towards the end of a test match were actually holes in, in, in the pitch, not so much <laughs> scuff marks. They were more actual holes of three to four inches deep. Um, so just explain the different surfaces between Australia and England and, and how you bowl to those different surfaces. Yeah, well, the, the, the surfaces in Australia, the, the crater, don't they? The crack and with the heat and stuff like that, where England, it's more the dampness, the, the moisture in the surface. And you can dig a hole, dig a hole. And as the surface gets drier, it, from a bowling point of view, it's a nightmare because you don't land in the same spot every single ball. You tend to land on jagged edges. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's harder from a bowling point of view, especially at somewhere like Old Trafford. Old Trafford's hard on underfoot. When you look at the, the, the pitches that they're going to play on, Edgebaston will be a lot slower. Edgebaston will be flat. Hens not to turn there as much. So Nathan Lyon's very, very experienced. He can, he can bowl on, uh, on any given surface. The, the amount of wickets that yeah, he's got nearly 500 test wickets. So he's an experienced campaigner. But it, for some reason, Edgebaston has been a bit like Brisbane for. For, for Australia, it's a it's a tough place to go. England win a lot of cricket at Edgebaston. And I think that's why they moved the first test from back in my day was always at Lords. Now the first test match is at Edgebaston. The slope, a lot of the Australian bats are experienced of the Lords slope. Nearly a metre, 1.9 metres from fine leg to fine leg, from bowling from the nursery ground then to, towards the, the, the pavilion end. There, there is, and if you don't quite get that right as a bowler, you can travel because your lines and lengths, your line from so I McGraw was so dangerous at, at Edgebaston from the pavilion end because all you had to do was land it just outside off stump and it was always going to challenge the stumps. Where if you bowl that length from the other from the nursery end, it was comfortably well outside off stump because it would go down with the slope. So there are a lot of a lot of differences in the first two test matches when it comes to the surface. But I look at the Australian side. The Australian side, there was a lot of a lot of players playing a lot of cricket in England. So because of that, because of the, there was a lot of noise when Steve Smith signed for Sussex. And it was like, no matter what he does in them three games, 
he averages 50, 59 um, English cricket. So playing for Sussex is not going to make a great deal of difference to Steve Smith's preparation for the Ashes for me. Um, and when it comes to, to batting on English on English wickets, a lot of the Australian batters have have had some comf- have, have had some success on them. So the other two for me, once that's them two get going, then it's pretty much straight up and down at, at Leeds, Old Trafford. Yeah, it's a little bit more pierce in it, and you probably get a little bit more tennis ball bounce at, at the oval on the surfaces, which probably Old Trafford and the oval start to get a little bit like mm. you know, the Australian surfaces, as, as close to the Australian surfaces as you're going to get in England. Uh, it'll be a beauty. Five tests, um, Australia versus England, and uh, the first one uh, in Birmingham, June 16 to 22nd, 28th of June to the 2nd of July, 6th to the 10th at Headingley. That second one is at Lords. Uh, then we head to Old Trafford, July 19 to 23, and the final test at the Oval, July 27 to 31. Five wonderful Ashes test matches on the way. Time for us to take a break. Simon O'Donnell, Steve Harmonson with you. Thanks to Australian Made. Look for the green and gold kangaroo on the other side of the break. Matt Renshaw, Australian squad member, joins us to talk about his Ashes journey. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including... England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan. Australian made. Look for the green and gold kangaroo logo and buy authentic Australian products. Road to the Ashes with Simon O'Donnell and Steve Harmison. Welcome back, everybody, to the Road to the Ashes. Simon O'Donnell, Steve Harmison with you. Thanks to Australian made. Look for the green and gold kangaroo Well, for the 17 Australians named in the Australian squad, the journey 
has started to Birmingham for the first test on June 16 against the old foe, Australia against England. And Matt Renshaw is part of that 17-man squad heading over to the UK. Uh, Matt, there's always a massive build-up as I welcome you to the road to the Ashes to a series like this. Do you get as excited as we do or more so? Um, I think probably a little more seeing as I've never been a part of an Ashes squad before. So this one's a bit more special for me, especially sort of given my history as well. Give us your history of playing over there. Have you played some county cricket, league cricket, those sort of things over the journey, Matt? Yeah, I've played three three years of county cricket and then I played when I just finished school. I played for the MCC Young Cricketers and a year of league cricket that year as well. So spent a bit of time over there playing cricket and, and loved pretty much every minute of it. Steve and I have been talking about the differences of batting on Australian pitches to bat- batting on English pitches. Do you find there's a difference? Yeah, there's probably probably the biggest one, especially for, for me from Brisbane, is is the bounce in the wickets. Um, I don't know. The, the league cricket wickets can be very interesting at times as well, but the um, the county wickets are a lot better than them. And, yeah, they, they tend to offer a little for bat and ball, but... Yeah, it's just the bowlers are always sort of in it because the, the low bounce and balls can just go underground at any random time, I feel. Matt, what about the ball that you're going to play against? You said you've had a couple of years playing in, in county cricket, but the ball, the Duke ball, is completely different to the Cooper ball. What sort of technical changes do you feel as are you going to need? And seeing you go in as an opener in Australia here in New Zealand, um, the difference between batting at five and batting at number one. Yeah, I think the Duke ball just probably has a lot more challenges with than the Kookaburra, uh, a lot of different challenges as well. So I find the Duke ball obviously swings a lot more than the Kookaburra, but I think bowlers nowadays are trying to use less of that swing, trying to use more of like a, a C movement and then the occasional one that, that swings, and that's probably the toughest part. As a batter, I think with a Kookaburra, if, you're not, if the ball's not swinging, you know it's not going to swing, whereas... A juice, you can be facing three or four overs and it not swing, and then all of a sudden the bowler just pulls one one swinger out of its hat and 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 knocks you over. So that's something you've really got to be ready for. It with the juke, it can always do something, even in the seventy ninth over of a of a ball. Matt, we're so used to watching you walk out at the start of an innings, and then in India we saw you coming in in the middle order. What's the mental difference for you in preparing to bat at the top of the order and in the middle? Um, I think for me, I've always opened, so it's a lot easier. Sort of, you know when you're going to bat, you know that how long you've got to prepare. Um, the ten minute changeover or at the start of a match, but number five, you sort of you start with your pads off, and and then you're working out when to put your pads on, when you need to start switching on about the game, and that's probably the toughest part for me. Like normally, as an opener, if you're sitting in the dressing room, you've been dismissed already. Um, you're not sitting there waiting to bat. So it's a completely different mindset in that sense. So you've just got to be really on with your preparation. And I think I've, I've developed that a, a lot over the last few years um, and working out how to best manage myself. You see a lot of different guys go about it different ways, like Pete Hanscom sleeps um, before he bats. So he says he gets drowsy and just goes with it. So um, some guys have different plans like that. Um, I'm probably more of a chat and make jokes around with the people around me. So um, try and keep myself up and about and, and try and not to, to be too fatigued. Matt, do you fancy not fancy coming over? There's quite a few of 
the Australian squad already in England. Uh, did you not fancy coming over and trying to get a, what we would we getting some stick? You Australians are getting some stick for coming over and having a net before the Ashes. But you think that's going to help some of the Australian players? But some of them have been experienced in English conditions before. How much is it going to help the guys going into that World Test Championship and then the Ashes? Um, yeah, well, I, I was over last year for the full summer with Somerset. And then in December, I, we recently had our, our little girl. Um, so we're a bit of a life change for us. And then being away in India for six weeks and then New Zealand for the A-Tour, just thought it'd be best for me to have a little bit of a break. And I think that's probably the, the best thing that's happened um, for a while for me with cricket, just sort of getting back to working out what I need to do and give myself and my body and mind a little bit of a break. But I love love playing counter cricket. I love the the being able to play every day, every every week for six weeks at the start of the season, and then get a bit of a break while the T Twenty action happens. Um, but no, I think it's it's a great experience for for guys who are over there at the moment, getting a chance to face some of the with some of the test guys being available. I think it's something that you can't really discount. It's just the experience of playing with some of the local English guys. Uh, how much knowledge when I my first year at Somerset, I had Marcus Stroskopic at the other end, which for a 21-year-old, 22-year-old was, was something that I've never forgotten. The experiences I had with him were amazing. And Matt, what about the challenges of playing in England? We're talking about travels in Australia, you get on a plane and away you go, but there's challenges as well as on the field, there's some challenges off the field as well. Yeah, I think the buses are something you've got to get used to. Um, the county grind is is one thing that you can't really explain to anyone unless they've sort of been through it. Um, probably is a, it'll be a little bit different in a test tour. Um, but, yeah, it's um, a lot different to the travelling around in in Australia. You just get on that plane at a day, whereas the, the travelling on a bus can be actually quite nice and nice camaraderie around the team as well. Matt, uh, you had a ripping tour of New Zealand with the Australian AT a couple team a couple of centuries and, and then that, that bit of time off. Is your preference leading into any sort of series you know, playing right up to the to the series starting or you don't mind that bit of a bit of a mental and physical break prior to a series getting underway? Um, I think it just depends on what um, what sort of stage of the season you're at. Obviously before India we've we've been playing for four or five months. Uh, full on with Big Bash and then the Shield stuff as well. So we've had we had a lot of cricket before that. Probably this is a little different with being a little bit of a break, but you sort of get into a rhythm of cricket. Um, and it, and I think at this stage it doesn't take too long to get back in. So there will be a couple of weeks of sort of training squad with the guys who haven't gone over to England early. Will be there'll be plenty of really good training between now and then. So that's probably a, another way of going about it. But yeah, I think some people like Manus Labuschagne just loves playing. Um, he just always wants to be playing, so that's why he continues to go across there. Whereas some guys need a bit of a break, and depending on where they are at their careers. Matt, what's the Ashes mean to a fellow like you? You've been around the, the circuit a while. You you came on the Test scene as a youngster. You fought your way back. Uh, there's now 2020 cricket, and obviously 50 over cricket still around. The Ashes as a young man, what? What did you think of the Ashes? Was that sort of a dream for you to think, oh, we've been watching so much of this, I'd love to be part of it one day? Yeah, well, I was born in England as well, so... um, I won't hold that uh, against you. (laughs) Yeah, um, so I've obviously got those memories of 
probably the first Ashes was that 2005 Ashes. And then uh, we were living in New Zealand at the time as well. So we moved, we came across to Australia for the 2006-07 Ashes. So it was always something that probably the first memories of cricket I remember watching was those 2005 and 2006 Ashes. So um, it's definitely something that's always been with me and um, always wanted to be a part of it. So I was just pretty happy to be in that squad squad here. When you're on the county circuit, what do they feed you at lunch and tea? Um, just I'm a bit of a man thing. who likes a graze, and I, I know that you know the short <laughs> time I played cricket in England. You know, for lunch you got lamb chops, mash and peas. I'm yeah, Lord, it's unbelievable. Moved on from that a bit. Yeah, I think it's still pretty similar. Um, like it? potatoes, meat. There's something in England that I've never heard of called gammon, which is just like ham steaks, which. I can't say I've ever heard of before I went over to England, but it was pretty pretty nice. Yeah. It's just you also have it with pineapple as well, though. <laughs> but yeah, I've, I've heard Lord's is an amazing meal. Um, I've I played there once with the MCC Young Cricketers, and I remember it being great, but hopefully I'll have a, have some chances to eat there a lot more. Matt, before we let you go, you know, the, the opening spot has been a, a point of conjecture. There's probably four of you going over that could fill two slots. How do you go about preparing yourself and, and being part of that? Do you prepare yourself to go over Matt Renshaw, the opening batsman in a test match, or a middle-order batsman? How do you go about this? Um, I think it's probably different to how I'd prepare over in India, but I think with the with the Duke ball, you just got to prepare to open, and then if you get that spot in the middle order, then the ball's not that much older compared to what it how it acts in India with like reverse swing and that sort of thing. So I'll go over trying to prepare to be an opener and then know that I can move move my game around pretty quickly to get that middle order game going. So, yeah, just face as many new balls as I can cause, or the, the 10, 15 over old balls, which is where when it starts swinging as well. So I, I love the Duke ball. I love the challenge that it brings and the, the evenness between bat and ball. And, and it's just quite enjoyable sometimes. Matt, we, uh, we really look forward to this uh, Ashes series. It's going to be a beauty and a real highlight for you. And congratulations on mating, making that 17-man touring squad. And we uh, look forward to watching what you produce um, positively over in the UK come uh, June, July in the Ashes series. Thank you very much. Well, Matt Thanks, Renshaw Matt. joining us there. Um, and, uh, well, it's, it's going to be a really interesting time, Harmy, for... For Matt, you know, he's got those two slots. And it's a touch awkward. I, I know squads are always awkward because there'd be three openers and two keepers and all those sorts of things. But, you know, with, with the, the Warner conjecture, uh, it, it's interesting reading and will be would be very interesting being part of that squad to see how it all rolls out with training and, you know, as the matches progress and who's in form and who isn't. Yeah, I think he's got probably one of the hardest jobs in that touring party because... There's two. The two question marks are one and five, and they are two polar positions, polar apart in England. Mm. Um, so, Matt, you know, Marcus Harris is going over there as a backup opening batsman, where I think Matt Renshaw is going over there as possible number five, possible number one. And like you like mentioned, it's not like another India or a Pakistan or a, a Caribbean tour to how you prepare yourself for that. I think mentally could be quite tough. So you need somebody that's strong in mind. And Matt Renshaw seems to be that that person. And probably that's why he's been picked by George Bailey and the selectors. Yep. No, it'll be interesting to see how he goes. Uh, Matty Renshaw on his way as part of the 
Ashes squad. This is the road to the Ashes. Simon O'Donnell, Steve Harmison with you. Thanks to Australian Made. Look for the green and gold kangaroo. We're going to take a break. After the break, we'll, uh, we'll wrap things up. Uh, the first show of the road to the Ashes. Australian Made. Look for the green and gold kangaroo logo and buy authentic Australian products. Road to the Ashes with Simon O'Donnell and Steve Harmison. Welcome back to the Road to the Ashes. Simon O'Donnell, Steve Harmison with you. Thanks to Australian Made. Look for the green and gold kangaroo. Steve, time for us to wrap things up. But a couple of important topics just to touch on. Firstly, uh, Joffre Archer, word reaches in the last 24 hours. There's there's still some elbow issues uh, that comes out of the IPL. What are you hearing? Yeah, it seems that that's come back and that is a concern for English English cricket because... He is such an important cog in, I think, England's success in the Ashes. So that would be an issue. Mark Wood is about to leave the IPL because second, the birth of his second child, his daughter, is imminent. Um, he's from, obviously, my area. I seen his wife last week in How on Earth That Little Girl Is Still Inside. Sarah is beyond me because she's massive, so Mark will be home soon, so that will be good for for English cricket to get him out of the IPL and potentially get him a four-day game once um, the birth of his daughter arrives. And we wish them all well on that front. So that's good from an English point mm. of view. But Archer would be a huge blow. Mm. I don't see him playing in the first Test match anywhere, even if he's fit, because I think he stays in the IPL for as long as he needs to do. His team needs him, which takes him all the way. I think it's up to about six days before the Ireland Test match which I think possibly rules him out of that. There's no four-day cricket, so getting his workloads up might just be a little bit extra time. So he might come into contention for the, the Lord's test. And I think England's other bowlers will be are ready to go. Robinson's had a game. Anderson's just bowled 46 overs in a first-class match this week, which is mind-boggling wow. at 40-year-old, and why would you do that, some would say. Um, and Broad's having a game as well. So I think England's bowling stocks, apart from the fast bowler, it's pretty good, but it is a massive worry on Joffre. That's coming out of the IPL, obviously, uh, that worry about uh, Joffre Archer. Also, I'm hearing the IPL is starting to summon a few of the, the big names to commit to multi-year contracts for mm. the IPL going forward. Is that what you're hearing? And if you are hearing it, what effects it going to have on, on future series, Australia-England, England-South Africa, et cetera, et cetera? Not so much on England-Australia. I don't think that will be in jeopardy. Or England-India or Australia-India. But I think the big three might just get their way in that they'll play against each other. But I think the England-South Africa, that might be a, a series which we don't have as many superstars in it. It's been coming for me, Simon. I think it was five years ago. I think it might be a little bit sooner than that now. I think the, the way the... The franchise system's working. They're taking over the world and mm. it could be football style, which is you are employed by your team and you get given in an international window to your, obviously your country, which it worries me, concerns me, especially for English cricket on domestic cricket, first and foremost, but we'll go, where the dollar, go where the dollar is or go where the pound is. And, and for me, that is in, in the franchise system. I don't think... It will be have a, a huge, massive effect on the players who have got test match contracts. They get played well enough to to keep them just at bay for for this short period of time. But in three to five years, I think the landscape of of cricket, world cricket, 
could could change. And I think the story that hit England over the course of the last 24 hours was multi-year deals, three million pound contracts, up to five million pound wow. contracts, for the likes of Joss Butler and Co, who are essentially the best white ball players in the world. Will it have an effect on Test match cricket? Probably not as much, but I think it's probably coming. No, big paydays for a, a number of the the wonderful players uh, around the world. Steve, um, time for us to, to say goodbye to our first show of Road to the Ashes. Look forward to chatting to you again next Wednesday. Look forward to it. Thanks, Simon. Going to Steve Harmison joining us there. This has been Road to the Ashes. Simon O'Donnell is my name. Steve Harmison has just uh, bid you farewell. If you've got a cricket question for either of us, you can tweet us at SEN Cricket or at Talk Sport. We'll be back next week. Thanks to Australian Made. Look for the green and gold kangaroos. See you in seven days. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today.